So uh, it's my, my privilege really to be here, um, and uh, this is a, a passage uh, I think that's really fitting um, for uh, me, me personally, but I, I think uh, probably for a good number of us here today, um, I think there's been, um, uh, I think definitely challenges I think that people have been wrestling with. And so I think it would be good uh, for this to really be in, uh, in line with our series of can I really change um, the, this idea of real transformation for real people. Um, I almost call this like a, a class of, of, uh, that, that's called like Suffering 101 that I think all who believe in Jesus have to go back to this class to remember some of these things that we so easily forget. And namely, that, that God changes us through suffering, if we allow him to do so. That, that we grow most in the tough times in our lives, not in the good times. Uh, the passage that was read today is really sort of a life verse. Um, I can remember uh, before I was a believer and I was in college, um, I was going through what was called uh, initiation week uh, in, to, to become a member of my fraternity. And, I think uh, they told us it involved a lot of having to stay up late and do a lot of manual labor and uh, being disciplined um, by uh, those who were older us than us in the fraternity. Um, but there was something that happened near the end that uh, we were asked to write out our experiences, sort of like a journal. And I was a little scared just because um, I, I wasn't uh, really a believer, but I had grown up in the church and I knew this verse. And Though we were going through suffering, I, I wrote this verse down as what I was kind of clinging on to even back then about rejoicing in our suffering. And I remember one of the older guys in the house um, during uh, one evening, he called me out to come forward to ask about what I had written. And I was kind of <clears throat> really scared about what he, he was going to call me out for um, in terms of you know, even putting down a Bible verse. Um, but he called me to, to say how impressed he was that this was the verse that I was clinging on to. Uh, this brother later on became a judge in Chicago, and it was just something that was a really interesting moment that I, I look back on, uh, that this bond that I had with him uh, for me to, to single me out uh, for having this in my mind as we were going through um, what back then was one of the tougher weeks of our lives. Um, I wonder what kind of suffering uh, or trials people are going through in this very room. Um, I think some of you uh, know that uh, I'm an attorney, um, and uh, <clears throat> what you don't know is the story, that I, the road that I took to get here. Um, I went to law school thinking that I was really adequately prepared by being an English major, and so when I sat down for my final exams, um, and back then, <clears throat> for the fall and spring semester, for a couple of the classes, you had one exam at the end of the year that would count for both semesters. And I remember thinking that, oh, this is really easy, you know, I, I, I write really well, and I'm going to come in here, and, um, you know, I went to a smaller state school that I, I didn't think that um, <clears throat> the competition necessarily was, was all that tough um, in my mind, and so I went in there. Um, probably more of an idealist dreamer that studied more about how to study than actually studying. And I think I, I you know, grew a sense of pride, like I knew all the, the secret tips and ways to, 
synthesize things. And um, so what, what happened was I think I was so careful about writing in, in such a uh, way that uh, I was used to taking my time um, back when I was an English major, uh, that it was a very different type of exam that uh, really had to do with how quickly you spotted issues and applied the law to the facts. And later on, when I looked at the, uh, the exams that got the top scores, there was hardly any really grammar that was you know, well-written, there was no penmanship, it was just like, you know, bam, 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 it was like very technical. And meanwhile, I was in there trying to craft the perfect sentence, you know, when I was writing the exam and thinking, oh, that sounds really nice. So long story short is that they told me after that uh, first year that I didn't meet the qualifications to continue uh, on in law school. In other words, they said I failed out, I think is what they meant to say. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of situation where your whole world is rocked, where this is what I was feeling that this was my calling, this is what God had led me to. Um, and it took my mom to, to ask me some questions. Um, I, I, in my mind, thought I was going through this kind of Job-like persecution, uh, this trial, this suffering that was part of God's will for my life. But my mom was much more interested in questioning whether this was really just discipline for your own sin. And it, it, whether, you know, you're thinking it's God's will, but it's actually just your fault. And um, it's, it's comforting to know in the context of suffering in, in Romans 5, I don't think there's really a distinction Paul draws between whether it's being persecuted for your faith, like what was happening going on then, or if you look towards the end of Romans 8, Paul lists uh, an entire list of all, all different types of sufferings and calamities that I don't think there's a, a real distinction. But uh, to, to my mom, I think um, she, she insisted um, that I reapply to school because she, she was convinced that it was just my own sin of not studying hard enough. And that <clears throat> resulted in more suffering that I'll explain later. But anyway, uh, the, the topic here is how, how do we um, find hope in the midst of suffering? That even though this passage starts off with suffering, we'll, we'll talk about it. It actually really is about hope. How do we rejoice in suffering? This sounds so contradictory to what we normally would do. Verse 3 says, Not only so, but we rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. So if we just look at that rejoice in our sufferings, I think it's tempting to think that um, we learn about suffering, um, that, that we can rejoice um, uh, that, that we think that this is something that is helpful, potentially, um, but it's not simply by just suffering that we can grow, right? Because no, 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 no one here would say that just because you're going through a hard time, does that automatically mean that you're going to grow from that, right? It, it's not that just going through suffering. It, it's how you respond in the face of suffering. And I think you can either, for those who believe in the Lord, you can either turn away from God during the times of your suffering, or you can deliberately turn to God in the midst of your suffering. So, so it's really how you respond to your suffering that can allow suffering to be beneficial in your life. Um, that, that we'll see in this passage that it goes on to say that suffering can produce this perseverance uh, in your life to allow you to grow and become a, a, a more mature person, uh, to grow, to be a better person, but if, 
we go and turn away from the Lord, it's very easy for us to become, instead of a better person, to become a bitter person. I, I think of three kind of consequences that uh, I've seen in my own life uh, when we don't rejoice in our suffering and when we turn away from God when we go through suffering. Right? I think the most common one is that, uh, much like what's uh, written in Scripture, um, you see many people who just complain and, suffer, uh, and, and grumble when they go through hard times. Uh, you probably know some people, maybe you're one of those people, that you just have to vent to somebody when something's going really badly, and that's just your perspective is staying in that moment of that suffering, and you can't really see beyond it. Uh, a second thing is, and maybe this is more common, is that uh, you always try to avoid suffering, that, that you always look to escape suffering, right? You think that suffering... Yeah, this is true in the Bible, but that's really for some of the more radical Christians that go through these persecutions. It's really not for me. I'm, I'm really trying to uh, escape to comfort as much as I can and spend my whole life avoiding these potholes of suffering. Um, and, and it's so easy for us to forget that we have to endure suffering in order to grow as believers, right? That I think in James, uh, the book of James, it actually talks about uh, James 1 welcoming uh, trials into your life as though they were friends because of the benefit that can happen when you turn to the Lord in the midst of those sufferings. Um, and then thirdly, uh, this maybe is the most sad, is that I, I think sometimes we, we feel that when we go through suffering, when something goes terribly wrong, we somehow think that God has left us or that God doesn't love us anymore or perhaps he's forgotten us in the midst of our suffering. I, th I think it's another helpful note uh, to remember that if you are a believer in Christ, suffering is not an option for you, that Jesus promises you will have persecutions. So for those of you who are Christ followers today, you are either going through suffering or you are preparing to go through suffering, and that should be our mentality, right? It's, it's uh, how we look at uh, if we are a Christ follower, if we're looking at Christ, it changes our perspective of suffering, right? If, if Christ himself suffered and, and died this brutal death in order to trade his righteousness for our sin, um, why wouldn't we expect to have any suffering if we're going to follow him, right? And it wouldn't be that, you know, this question of why would a good God allow suffering but the question would be more like, why wouldn't the most loving and sacrificial God allow suffering for his people if we are going to be like him? Right. Um, I think there's also, um, it, interesting, I've read enough things on, on this passage um, where some commentaries talk about, this is not really talking about rejoicing in suffering. That, that sounds like masochistic. This is rejoicing in the midst of suffering. Right, that you're going through difficult times that you can rejoice. But when you look at the passage more, and I've started to see um, some other pushback on that, it actually just says to rejoice in our suffering. It doesn't say in the midst of our suffering, even though I think that is true. But I think it does say rejoice in our sufferings. And, and I think if we look at Scripture, uh, we, we can look at even Paul's own life, um, when Paul wrote this, uh, he's somebody who lived out his life by, when he was put into prison, he, he would be singing in prison um, and, and praying and singing hymns. 
and, and the prisoners listening to him when, when he had uh, been jailed um, and beaten with rods. Um, there, there's also, uh, if you remember in the book of Acts chapter 5, uh, it says that uh, with the, when the apostles were beaten and charged not to speak in the name of Jesus and let go, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Right? Uh, Francis Chan says this that I thought was really interesting. When he went uh, to uh, spend time in China and he was looking at studying the underground church in China, one of the, the church had these five pillars, and he noticed they were very interesting, and especially the last one, and in context of our churches here in the, in the West. Uh, the five pillars, the first one was prayer, the second was uh, the word, the third was being missional, the fourth was expecting the supernatural, which is kind of interesting, and then the fifth one, the pillar of the church, was to embrace suffering for the glory of Christ. That, that's interesting, right? I mean, thank you. I mean, I, I'm wondering, like, what, what church would want to advertise that? You can come and be a member so you can embrace suffering for the glory of Christ. But isn't that what's here? This is what Suffering 101 requires us to go back to and remember, that this is to have an eternal perspective to our temporary worldly afflictions. Um, I think that Pastor Chris, I see him in the back, I think he spoke on that today too as well, um, that this, this suffering that we have pales to, in contrast to the riches that we have in Christ. If we move on to understand why we should rejoice in suffering, we, we see that it says that suffering produces perseverance, and then verse 4 says perseverance produces character, and then character produces hope. So, so why can we rejoice in suffering? It seems here that there's this chain effect of uh, when, when you have the right perspective to respond, that suffering leads to perseverance, uh, produces perseverance. If we break down those words, I think the, the word for suffering, um, I think, uh, really talks about being under pressure is the best way to describe it. Kind of like if uh, you were to squeeze an olive uh, for oil and you would squeeze it, um, or, or squeezing grapes for juice, that's sort of what we go through when we are suffering or going under trials. We're being squeezed. I don't, I don't know if anyone here currently feels like your life, things are coming in where you're really feeling squeezed. Um, I'm looking at some visuals to help, and uh, this is, I think, part of the guys that set up here. Uh, believe me, this is kind of heavy. Um, this is your sandbags. I think you guys probably use that to weigh down the signs that you put outside. Um, so it's, it's pretty heavy. Um, and it's like this, that if, if I complained, if I was part of the team, and I, I complained about having to lug this every single Sunday just so we can put a sign out there, I think, you know, and I'd be like kicking it around and I'd not be really trying to utilize the opportunities that are here. Um, I, I think that would be one thing. I think it would be another thing if I didn't give up and if I didn't complain and if I didn't just leave it behind for somebody else to do, but I actually did it. And I, I'm a righty, so I, I would start working out my left arm here and I would say that, you know, this is painful but, and there's pressure, but, you know, there's a benefit that the more tension there is with my muscle, here, I'll let you guys look too, um, there's, there's more pressure and my muscle will continue to grow the more I do this and that I can actually find somewhat joy in doing this. <clears throat> um, I think that was the idea that 
the more you resist or you work out with this pressure, your muscle continues to grow, and your resistance to muscle uh, resistance is sort of like the same way that your hope is strengthened. Um, that when, when you don't have the pressure, there, there's no opportunity for growth. It says suffering produces perseverance. Uh, perseverance is kind of translated uh, endurance in some translations, patience, steadfastness. It's the idea of bearing up under something in order to be made stronger. It's this resolve to stick with something, like some of you who've run marathons. Who's run a marathon here, by the way? I know there's a few. Okay, so you guys would know that to to persevere, to finish a marathon, that that requires this kind of resolve, this endurance to make it all the way to the end that most of us don't ever want to do, right? And, and, And so this suffering that produces perseverance, that produces then this character is what it says. And this character, the best way to describe that is it's this sense of being somebody being approved, uh, this idea of being tested, uh, being uh, proven, uh, like, like the better way of, is, is translated a proven character or a tested character, that somehow when you rejoice in your suffering, it can produce the perseverance that will lead to this kind of tested and proven character. Uh, the best kind of visual is like a jeweler or a goldsmith using this intense heat to melt silver or gold in order to purify or refine the, the, the gold or the metal, the precious metal. Just like God uses the intense heat of suffering to purify us of our spiritual impurities, right? It's, it's been said that uh, your, your character, who you really are, are shown by, is shown by your perseverance. Your perseverance leads to tested and proven character if you can bear up under the suffering and you can even learn to rejoice because of the benefits. The thing that always got me when I looked at this verse is why does it then lead to hope? I, I understand suffering produces perseverance, perseverance to character, character. Why is it hope? This, this idea that just as the, the pressure or difficulty uh, strengthens muscle, it somehow also strengthens hope or faith in, in the book of James, and I think Peter talks about that too. That after, if you ever suffered the death of a loved one, uh, when, I, when I saw the life going out of my little sister right in front of me a few years ago, it, it's a devastating, helpless feeling to watch the life go out of somebody. How do you have hope in a situation like that? I think what it taught me and my family was that after that experience, it gave us more certainty and more resolve of having our hope in heaven than in anything else on the earth. So there's also, to illustrate that further, one of the earliest Christian passages in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 talks about, uh, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep or, or, or who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. That the early Christians were defined as those who had hope, even in the midst of death. 
So the, the first point really was just focusing on under, trying to understand what it is to rejoice in suffering, and we understand the benefits. The second point is just this, that when, <clears throat> if we're hoping in God, uh, you'll, you'll never be disappointed. Hoping in God will never disappoint us. Verse 5 uh, says at the beginning, and hope does not disappoint us. Other translations talk about hope does not put us to shame. Again, I'm just trying to unpack why hope? Why is this focusing back on hope again? Um, earlier, right bef- uh, in verse 2, before this passage, it, it talks about hoping in the glory of God. And then Paul moves from that to having this hope in suffering. Um, that it seems like hope in God is the focus or the goal. Um, uh, Romans 5, uh, 15 talks about whatever was written in the former days was written in our instructions that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. That the scriptures were ultimately written for instructions, but through the endurance and encouragement, ultimately when we read the scriptures, it's meant so that we might have hope. So we know that hope seems to be such a critical topic, subject here. Um, it's a personal one, too, in that of, of all my, my children, uh, the one that I got permission to, to name was, was Hope, my daughter. Um, because we see that suffering here is not a barrier to hope, but it actually can help you find hope. That suffering somehow does not lead to despair, as we might think. But actually, if you can rejoice in your suffering, it actually leads to hope. That, that God uses suffering in order to bring greater blessings. Um, since we have a long day for many of us, uh, I don't have much time. And um, <clears throat> someone had said that uh, maybe with all that's going on, you know, you should just play longer film clips up here. And we've have, we have a lot of guests here today, so I just want to clarify, that's not what we do here at South Loop. We study scripture, and so uh, let me tell you this story about this movie. Who, who's seen the Shawshank Redemption before? Okay, good, good many of you. So I, I just happened to stumble about the, upon that again. You know, for those who haven't seen it, it's the story of this banker who's convicted of a double homicide, a guy named Andy Dufresne, played by Tim Robbins. He maintains his innocence, and he finds a way of surviving 19 years of being in prison and and treated harshly in prison, all the while creating this unlikely bond with a fellow convict named Ellis Red Redding, played by Morgan Freeman. Both of them are in jail, but uh, Andy is more the the optimist who actually is innocent of the crime that he's being charged with and and why he was in prison. Um, And he has hope. And they talk about that. And it's his uh, unlikely fellow convict who he has his bond with, Red, who is actually in prison for something that he did, and he's grown cynical, um, and he doesn't really have hope. There was a scene where they talk about uh, music, and Andy says that that's the beauty of music. They, They can't get that from you. And this is while they're in prison. Haven't you ever felt that way about music? You need it so you don't forget. There are places in this world not made of stone. Something inside they can't get to, they can't touch, that's yours. It's hope. Red tells him, let me tell you something, my friend. Hope 
is a dangerous thing. It can make a man insane. It's got no use on the inside. And later on, Andy tells and writes Red, remember Red, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. There's a famous phrase he says, get busy living or get busy dying. And I think at the end, uh, he says, uh, Morgan Freeman playing Red uh, says this, that I, I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope. It's, he says hope is a dangerous thing. You know, I, I think about times when we're afraid to hope anymore because it, it hurts too much, that we don't want to bring it to God, that, that we don't rejoice in suffering because we're too scared to hope. There's stories, wonderful stories in Scripture. If you know, in 2 Samuel, uh, I think chapter 4 or 5, the Shunammite woman, uh, when Elisha the prophet tells her, who has not had any child, says prophecies that she's going to bear a son, her first response is, don't deceive me, that she's too afraid to go there. I think that... um, with, with relationships, I think that, uh, that that's something really common. I think that uh, my, my late sister, um, before I met Serena, was afraid uh, to see me try to win uh, a, a, a woman back that I had uh, taken too long with, and she was afraid to see me go through that potential rejection. And she just said, you know, it, it's just safer not to hope. It's easier. Emmanuel Kant talks about how hope is such a fundamental need in the human experience. That for those who uh, are medically sick, I I think we have uh, many medical professionals here, that when a patient has hope, that makes a big difference. And, And it's dangerous to bring our suffering to God and wait for hope. But I think this third point is that the blessing of suffering is to lead you to depend on his love and spirit in you. Uh, verse, uh, end of verse 5 says, Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Um, that love, interestingly here, is the subject that God is talking about being poured out like the spirit at Pentecost upon us. Uh, and it's via the spirit that, that we have it because it's been given to us. Uh, other translations in verse 5 talks, again, about hope uh, not putting us to shame. Um, I think in an effort to wrap up, uh, the conclusion of my story was that I, I had to wait uh, typically two years before reapplying to law school. Uh, somehow, uh, through negotiating with the law school, they, they waived one year, the one-year requirement, so I just had to do one year. And then through my mother's pleading and insisting that I go back there, uh, they, they miraculously waived another year. But the catch was I, I had to start all over again with the first year. And it was so humiliating to think about going back and seeing all my classmates who were going to the second year, and I would be going back and seeing them all, but I'd be going back with the first years. Um, 
and even more miraculously, that somehow there's, I don't know if it's still, this is still in effect for law schools, but when you reapply like that, um, and typically you were supposed to wait two years, they allowed you to start again in the first year, but with a completely clean slate that none of your grades in the past, your first year, counted. And, and I can't think of a clearer picture of this gospel, that, that after we failed and sinned and made our mistakes, uh, because of this incredible good news of Christ's death on the cross for our sins, we have this clean slate of righteousness, no more condemnation. And then because of his resurrection power, we have this power to live it out for him. So you would have thought that when I went back to law school, so I did that. I went back, all my classmates went to the second year. I went with the first years. And you would have thought I would have aced the classes. Um, well, I, I, I barely got by, I still. And it was so humiliating uh, during that second year um, that those that I thought I, I was better than, they, they looked at me with this pity, and they were so surprised that I, I looked like I was studying all the time. But... I didn't make it through the first year. I remember the embarrassment. I, I, I felt cringing telling uh, the Christian Legal Society group that I was supposed to lead that year why I couldn't continue. And um, some people had the kindness and grace to come and encourage me, to tell me, you know, by doing this again, this is the best way you can prepare for the bar exam. So, you know, look ahead. This is, this is a great way. You're going to be the best prepared for the bar exam than anyone here. Um, and, and one thing that was interesting to me, one, one guy, I remember, made a comment like, um, I think that's when God really started to work in me, and, and this guy noticed, like, why, why are you always smiling? Like, what, what kind of drug are you on? And I, I think some of you may have had similar experiences that um, when you can rejoice in suffering, you can see that God is doing something to purify you. That I, I, I fear what I would have been like in my practice if I didn't go through that experience. How, how much arrogance, how much pride I had that God needed to purify in me. Elizabeth Elliot says that God cannot use one greatly unless he wounds her or him deeply. Yeah, that, was, that was what I remember that summer was like my summer of disaster. Everything, like my relationships, my school, everything seemed to fall down. My parents had health issues, uh, going through a lawsuit. Everything came crashing down around me. I wonder if you've ever had that experience where you've been stripped of everything. What, what do you do when your whole world falls apart and you have nothing left? Romans 8, 24 says, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. You see, we need to be cognizant that we have to hope for something, that we're in need. We have to know that we're in need. And so the question for us today is, who are we putting our hope in? Uh, there's a pastor named Rich Velotis that says that we, we often preach a behavior modification by which we call people to live respectable, respectable lives. But repentance is the full turning of oneself to God. Right? We talked about that, that how you respond to suffering is key. 
that whether you turn away from God or do you turn to God to rejoice in your suffering. It's been also said that your, your feeling of loneliness or suffering or fear or even uncertainty or waiting, feeling like you're in the wilderness, this is actually a blessing to lead you to need God and to ask for his spirit and his presence in your life. That we grow most in our tough times, not in our easy times. And when we suffer and turn to God, we ask more for his spirit and depend more on him. And that's the blessing that suffering can grant us if you're a Christ follower. That the, the verse that talks about Christians uh, don't have to fear being put out to shame. And it's because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? Being poured out is this idea of this extravagant abundance of the Spirit being poured out into you in the past, but it's also inside each one of us, that the Holy Spirit resides in every believer. But as uh, Pastor Chris preached a couple weeks ago, that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you right now, Amen. if you're a believer. You, you are the tent of meeting where God's Spirit resides. Amen. And that's why Jesus said it's to your advantage that he goes away. I think that uh, <clears throat> it's only fitting that since my time is up, um, I'm going to end with uh, introducing something here. Um, in the movie Shawshank Redemption, Andy the prisoner does something very risky to just have a, a small taste of hope that I want to leave you with as a visual uh, before we close. Okay, so if, if we could play that. Um, one exception for this whole year, we're going to play one film clip here. I, I wish I, I had a chance to take a photo of you guys watching a movie of the guys staring up, listening to this music while you guys are watching them staring, listening to this music. Um, but I, I didn't get your permission, so I didn't get a chance to. But I, I love this clip that these men are, are, are suffering the, uh, the, the harshness of being in prison, but they're feeling so free in that moment because they can all hear this music and they can keep that even inside them afterwards that no one can take away from them, that it gave them hope even in the midst of their discipline or being attacked harshly. In the same way, for those who are Christ followers, that you may be suffering in this world, but you can feel a joy because you have the Spirit inside you, filling you with his love that has been poured out into you that no one can ever take away from you that can give you hope, even in your worst suffering. That, that he saw this momentary affliction, that, that the punishment that he was gonna get for playing that, it was worth it for that hope that he could have. He even had this longer, further, eternal perspective that he would one day be free. Do we see this temporary worldly affliction as worth it so that we can be renewed by his love. And one day, he really will set us free. And that will be forever.
Brothers and sisters, beloved, let me ask you this. Can you hear the music? This, this worship team helps us to know what we can continue to keep in our hearts during the week of our momentary afflictions. Can, can you hear it? The music of the Spirit to continue to guide and empower you through all the sufferings, all the trials in this life, in your life, and bring you joy and hope. Put your hope in the Lord, and you will never be disappointed. Let's pray.